0: Girls, I'm going to Harvard. You mean like on backy? Let's all go! Road trip! (laughs) No, I'm going to Harvard Law
1: School. Why? Hey
0: everyone, this is Andrew Parsons from Prolog Projects. I'm still filling in for Leon. On this episode of 5 to 4, the hosts are talking about a film that has shaped the greatest legal minds of our generation. You're breaking up with me because I'm too... Blonde? No, that's not entirely true. Then what? My boobs are too big? Legally blonde may seem just like a goofy fish-out-of-water story. But if you look closely enough, you'll see a critique of many of the biases that still pervade the legal profession. On the other hand a 22-year-old movie is guaranteed to have some pretty outdated depictions of, well, almost everyone. This is 5 to 4, a podcast about how much Warner Huntington III and the Supreme Court sucks.
2: Welcome to 5 to 4, where we dissect and analyze the Supreme Court cases that have left our law dated and reactionary like a feminist film from the year 2001. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm um, Peter. Yes. I'm here with Michael. Hey, everybody. And Rhiannon is taking the week off. We're giving her a break, you know? Things have been a little uh, crazy over in Palestine. So mm-hmm. giving our girl a rest. And, uh, oh, my God. Is that is that Rachel Ward's music? <laughs> <laughs> Our producer, Rachel Ward, stepping in front of the mic. Mm-hmm. Rachel.
1: So not only do I have to be on the show, I also have to pick music for myself now. I got to score this thing? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, otherwise it won't make sense.
0: What would your walk on music be?
1: Just whatever is free, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we're not paying a dime for it or <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Now,
2: we are doing a much requested episode, really. Surprisingly... High demand for this episode, mm-hmm. considering this has absolutely nothing to do with the premise of our podcast. None. Um, but today we're going to be talking about *Legally Blonde*. Yes, the 2001 classic with Reese Witherspoon and others.
1: Uh, <laughs> come on, you can come up with one other name:
2: Jennifer Coolidge, mm-hmm. Selma Blair,
0: one of the Wilsons.
2: <laughs> Luke Wilson. Luke, right. Now I'm thinking of people who I saw in the movie in the background. I was like, oh, he's in this? But I can, now I can't remember who it was.
1: The guy from Criminal Minds mm, checked that's her right. in
0: that's
2: right.
1: at Harvard. Mm. Yeah. And then there was a the guy who looked like Charlie Sheen in the restaurant, but I don't think that was him. I
2: really don't think that was him, yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to talk about the big themes in the movie. And also talk about like what it gets right and wrong about law school and the law mm-hmm. and whether we have something to learn from this movie or whether it's just a weird, vaguely problematic 22-year-old film that we should all discard of and move on from.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> I think that ship has sailed, honestly. Yeah.
2: It's true. The film is sort of, it's like a cult classic, but in a mainstream way. Mm-hmm. It's extremely popular with law students, female law students especially, and just generally popular with women, I think. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, this is a classic, like, I put this movie on three to four times a week movie. Mm -hmm. For sure, there are people who watch this movie every week. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and one of them is my wife. (laughs) So I told her that we were doing this, and she was like, can I write up a series of questions from a non-lawyer that I have about this movie? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then she like immediately opened her laptop and just started going nuts, <laughs> furiously typing. <laughs> and then sent me a Google Doc like 15 minutes later. Uh, and so we will be drawing from her questions.
0: <laughs> I just opened it for the first time. There are a lot.
2: I cut some.
1: So <laughs> I think they're good. And I had some of the same ones.
0: Yeah. So let's talk big picture, I guess,
2: first. The big themes in the movie. I think the primary theme, the real heart of the movie, is this message of, like, female solidarity. Yes. Right? Like, the real premise is sort of Elle Woods, Reese Witherspoon's character, is, like, this ditzy blonde. And she might not like or be liked by other, quote-unquote, types of women. Right? The stodgy old female professor.
0: The radical lib lesbian.
2: Yeah. The sort of, like, frumpy nerd. Mm-hmm. and. The message of the movie and where like the movie ends is like, no, we are all better, like unifying behind our sort of common experience as women. Uh, and that's sort of the, the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's sort of just a, a Chicks Rock movie in a lot of ways.
0: She befriends her female nemesis and they become right. best friends. Mm-hmm. She supplants her male mentor. Because she is close with her female defendant right. on the case they work on. Like, it's very much women together stronger, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And women listening to each other mm, and yes. that resulting in better legal practice. Yes.
0: Right. Right. So <laughs> absurd. Ridiculous.
2: <laughs> 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 so there are a couple other big themes I think it's worth mentioning up top. One is... Old money versus new money. Mm. This is the greatest commentary on this issue since The Great Gatsby. Yes. In my opinion. (laughs) The movie starts off with Elle Woods being dumped by her old money boyfriend, right? Mm -hmm. Warner Huntington III, who says he wants to like settle down with someone who's more respectable, like his brother, who's marrying a Vanderbilt. And Elle's like, but wait, I'm rich. Right. I grew up in Bel Air. Across from Aaron's spelling. And he's like, yeah, but I need someone serious, right? Mm -hmm. He's pointing to these like intricate divides between old money and new money. And this also gets played out in the murder case that we'll talk about later that Elle ultimately handles with some classmates, which involves this like young new money wife of an old money husband Mm -hmm. and his family's rejection of her and jealousy of her.
0: Right. Yeah. I thought this stuff was actually really sharp. I think it was right that there's a class of people who would look down on someone who has a 4.0 GPA at like a top 20 college and drives a Porsche. Mm, right. And still be like, well, she's trash. Right. Because she doesn't understand what the WASP elites are supposed to be like.
2: Yeah. It's sort of a parallel glass ceiling for her. Right.
1: Right. An intersectional glass yes, ceiling. That's right. The only intersectionality in this entire film.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it did make me look up whether the writers of the film were new rich. Because mm-hmm. I was like, this is just, it just feels a little defensive. It didn't seem like they were born into money. They really had two big hits, this and a few years before, Ten Things I Hate About
0: You. Mm. Oh my
1: um, god, I didn't realize. Yeah. That is one of my three to four times a week movies.
0: It was kind of making fun of the new rich too, though. Yeah. For sure. You know, Elle is ridiculous. Like she's ridiculous. Right.
2: Her father is in two scenes, <laughs> one next to the pool. And he's holding a martini glass with a couple of olives. Right. And then two, at the very end of the movie, at the graduation ceremony, where he also has a martini glass with a couple <laughs> <Right>. of
0: olives. <laughs> not, not like the post-ceremony, like literally, no. No. like the kids are in their mortars and, yeah. you know, having speeches yeah. and he's drinking a martini. Right.
2: One of many uh, surprisingly good visual gags in the, in this movie. Yes. And before we get into the movie itself, there is one other theme. And this one I find troublesome. (laughs) So obviously you have this theme, which is not to judge a book by its cover, right? Elle Mm -hmm. is pretty. She's ditzy. She's vain. But we very quickly learn that she's exceptionally smart, Mm -hmm. right? She schools this saleswoman who tries to rip her off by like upselling some shitty dress. Right. And I think that this is a dangerous message uh, to be putting out there. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, there's a stereotype that vain and beautiful people are dumb. Mm -hmm. And I think that stereotype is important because (laughs) when an average person looks at someone exceptionally beautiful and rich, we have to believe that like we have something on them, right? Right. That 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 gorgeous person is somehow engaging with the world to a lesser degree than we are, right? right? That they are experiencing life on a less visceral level. Mm. Because if you don't believe that, you might have to concede that maybe... Every aspect of that person's life is better than yours. You have nothing on them. Mm. And if we are forced to collectively concede that, that they're richer, prettier, smarter, more knowledgeable, then I think the social fabric begins to fray, right? Because what choice is left for us normal people after such a concession other than violent resistance to the (laughs) hegemonic (laughs) presence of these genius
0: bimbos? Yes.
1: I think this is real scarcity mindset, Peter, yeah. and we're going to have to talk about this offline. I
0: think you got to go the other way. I think you have to embrace your inner hot guy and be like, you know what? I am attractive and I'm smart and I'm funny mm-hmm. and I'm a good guy. We exist. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of us out there, but you know, we're not perfect. I We have mental illness. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We have a podcast, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These things happen. <laughs> yeah.
2: Look, I, that might be the mentally healthier way to do it. I'm just talking about what came to my mind as I watched this movie.
1: <laughs> Michael, you had a phrase for this in prep the law
0: of the conservation of virtues. Yeah, what is that? I forgot where I saw it. I think it came up in like political writing, where it's like people just assume that you only have so many virtues, right? Like if you are nice. And smart, there's no way you can be like attractive and uh, accomplished and whatever, right? Like, there's only so much. Like, life hands out virtues and vices sort of randomly and in even numbers. And so, I think this came up in politics. It may have been when Barack Obama was like first coming up because there it was like people just kind of assume he's an empty suit Mm. because he's like intelligent and attractive and well-spoken and blah, 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 blah. like
1: Much like L Woods.
0: Right. So he has to be an empty suit. There's no way he could be the real deal, right? Because there aren't people like that. People like that don't exist. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's the fast, cheap, good theory of people.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> Pick two. <Yeah. laughs> yes.
1: So
2: this is probably all very alienating for our listeners who have at most one good trait. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's their taste in podcasts. That's right. <laughs> that's
1: right. I would say if they're Patreon members, then they have too. Yeah, that's,
0: that's right. That's right.
1: So I think now that we've got the sort of themes framed up, just to get everyone on the same page, I know it's maybe been 22 years since some of you have seen this. We should just run through the major plot points. Mm-hmm. So we open on a montage of El Sorority Sisters signing a card. For her, wishing her luck in anticipation of her getting engaged to what's his name, Humpington Huffer Warner
2: Huntington the third.
1: War- Warner Huntington the third cut to that engagement dinner it's not actually an engagement dinner he's breaking up with her because he's got to be serious right
0: Mm -hmm. he takes her out to a fancy dinner to dump her
1: right classic bait and switch
2: and then he looks like very embarrassed that she's upset he's like looking around like god stop humiliating me
1: (laughs) 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 i'm just breaking up with you in public what's the big deal And so that is the initiating incident for mm-hmm. her to mm-hmm. decide to get into Harvard.
0: To chase him, who is going to Harvard Law. Right. And prove that she's serious. Yes.
1: Right. We get a little bit of a training montage of her working on the LSAT prep, her uh, application process. Mm-hmm. And then we see her at Harvard on her first day. You know, initially things at law school are rough, they get better. She winds up getting assigned to, for some reason, work on a murder trial. Right. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's a a series of dramatic courtroom moments. Mm
0: -hmm. She gets felt up by the supervising attorney and quits.
2: Yeah, it's the full law school experience. Right.
0: Right. And then ends up taking over the case and winning it in dramatic fashion.
2: Yeah. Right. So let's sort of walk through it with the lens of people who for the most part, went to law school and are lawyers. Right. So first you have the application process when she's applying. Mm -hmm. And she sends in a video essay and it's like this really over-the-top video essay. Preposterous. Completely (laughs) ridiculous.
1: I didn't know that there was such a thing as a video essay until I saw this movie. There is
0: not. There's no such thing.
2: She is otherwise a perfectly valid candidate for Harvard. Mm -hmm. But if a normal admissions officer saw this video essay, they'd be like, oh, well, she's unwell. So right, no. <laughs> <This> <laughs> right. someone who needs therapy, not law school.
0: Yeah. So I was willing to give them a pass on the video essay because I, I feel like this was just like a sort of here's how we can like visually dramatize this application process or whatever. Mm-hmm. What bugged me, this is more pedantic, what bugged me about it was that her essay was all about how she's so smart. Yeah. That's not what a law school essay should be about. It shouldn't be about how you're so smart. A good essay is about who you are and why you want to go to law school, which she does not address at all.
2: It's where you lie about overcoming something in your life.
0: And say you want to make a difference in the world or or whatever. She says and does none of it, And instead it's just like, I have a good memory And I use legal jargon. Right. It's a crap. Not
2: good.
1: I think that what you're seeing. So I I read this piece in the New York Times called Legally Blonde Oral History from raunchy script to feminist classic. Mm. And I think this particular moment is really suffering from like the massive rewrite that happened between the first script and like Mm. what. The film actually became because apparently it was like really dirty initially and oh. like full of just like blue jokes,
0: it's sort of like a there's something about Mary
1: type, yeah. I think that's what they thought they were doing. We're in
2: like the era of American Pie, right? right?
1: Yes, that's what they say. Like initially, it was more in the vein of American Pie, and then like subsequent iterations just got more and more compromised, more and more watered down, right?
0: Mm, interesting.
2: Well, I'm glad they didn't go that route because. It was really an arms race in the early aughts mm. <laughs> to just do the most disgusting thing possible. And I right. feel like that basically built up to Van Wilder where there's a scene <laughs> oh, God. like the frat guys get tricked into eating dog semen eclairs. And it's just like, well, you can't do a more disgusting scene than this. So I right. guess we need to move on from these types of movies.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah,
0: doesn't quite have the same ring as like jumping the shark, eating the dog semen eclair. But it is the same idea. It's the same conceptually. It's the same idea. Yeah. The genres run its course.
2: Right, right.
1: But you can see there is still some like vestiges of that original script, like when she arrives at a party in
0: their Playboy bunny outfit. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes.
1: And her ex-boyfriend says to her, you look like a walking felon Yes, Right. That feels like it was from the first version.
0: (laughs) Yes. Right, right. I will say, I thought there was a great line early on when she first starts studying for the LSAT and one of her sorority sisters, she explains her plan and one of her sorority sisters says, I know you're upset, but why not just take a Percocet? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yes. (laughs) I mean,
2: there are some great one-liners. When she tells her parents that she wants to go to law school, her dad gives the famous line, why would you want to do that? Law school is for people who are ugly and boring and serious.
0: And you're none of those.
2: <laughs> just a spot on line. Yeah. That and the Percocet line are just like killer. Like, why are you doing this? You know, <laughs> Yeah. that yes. made me feel like there were lawyer consultants on the movie when I heard that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: There's another yes. one where the professor who ultimately will wind up coming on to her says something like, it's like she just woke up one morning and said, I'm going to go to law school today. And Luke Wilson says...
0: Oh, yeah. He says, despite that lapse in judgment, I, I think she has potential. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Right. That right. that was right. very much a line written by a lawyer. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. 100%. For sure.
2: <laughs> so the other parts of the application process, she's a fashion major. She has a 4.0, mm-hmm. but her advisor is like, yeah, but it's in fashion merchandising. Mm-hmm. That might seem to a layperson to be a reasonable counter argument, but in reality... Law schools don't care about your major. Not at all. The main reason they don't is because law school rankings, like the U.S. news rankings, use data that leverages GPA and LSAT scores in a vacuum. Right. So those two numbers are highly relevant. It doesn't matter if you were doing chem or fashion. Right. The other thing is that, like, it might seem more on point to be doing political science or whatever, but they get tons of those applications. Like Mm -hmm. someone with a fashion major is like interesting to an admissions officer at a law school.
0: Right. And wouldn't you know it, but the fashion industry needs lawyers yeah. and it can be helpful to have a background in fashion and to understand stuff. There are massive law firms that serve the entertainment industry. The same thing with the music industry, same thing with sports. Every industry out there has massive law firms serving them. That are benefited from people having a background in that industry. So law schools don't really care what your undergrad degree is. Right. Not to mention that, you know, if you have a 4.0, it still means you probably aced all your distributive requirements too, right? right? She almost certainly took a calculus class and a writing class and a whatever and got A's. Like, she's smart.
2: Right. And I think there is an underlying theme here where like, it doesn't matter how much she like objectively proves that she's smart. People are still like, I don't know, Elle. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Her boyfriend of several years who went to undergrad with her calls her stupid to her face.
1: Yeah. And
2: she's like, we're at the same school. And he's like, come on.
1: And then we later (laughs) learn. That he got waitlisted.
2: Yes. Right. That she got into
1: on merit.
2: Right. And he got waitlisted.
1: He had to have his daddy call someone.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing worth mentioning about the admissions process is the LSAT, sort of montage. Oh, yeah. She preps for the LSAT, which is the aptitude test you take for getting into law school. And it's graded on a scale of 120 to 180 for some reason. And she practices at a 143. And then her final score is a 179, which is a near-perfect score. That would be a good score at Yale. Mm -hmm. And it's worth noting that this is basically impossible. (laughs) You're taught that, like, a 10-point improvement is basically where you max out. Like, it's possible to do a little more, but very unlikely. Mm -hmm. This is functionally like an IQ test sort of thing. So, you know, this is the equivalent of testing at like an 85 IQ and then 160 then ne- like the next time you test <laughs> I
1: feel like you learned nothing from this movie Peter
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I know that she leveraged the power of womanhood Right Yeah
1: that was an entire sorority taking the LSAT
0: Together Right right
1: I actually I'm curious about like going back to your experiences studying for taking and mm-hmm. then receiving your LSAT mm-hmm. scores what would your montages look like.
0: <laughs> My montage would look like sitting in a little room just reading a book by myself.
2: <laughs> Mine is a pile of Adderall pills just getting smaller and smaller.
0: <laughs> <laughs> be a good shot. Yeah. But there's nothing to memorize with yeah. the LSAT.
2: You just need to practice the systems. Right.
0: It's like all logic puzzles and reading comprehension. Stuff you can improve on but to do more than a 10 point improvement would take many years of training right. to like think different.
2: And you can like you know there are people that train themselves to to perfect scores but I don't think anyone started with a 143. I'll just put that out there. Yeah. All right. So she gets into Harvard. She shows up. Everyone looks like a Frumpy loser.
1: (laughs) The costuming on this part is incredible. It really
2: is. It's great.
1: I think they just like had these people come to the set in their clothes and then just (laughs) put them in the movie. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Every single person is wearing a brown sweater vest. (laughs) And then Elle shows up like hot pink, fuzzy shit, little chihuahua, uh, cool car. (laughs) Drives
1: her car right up to the door of the dorm. right. Right.
0: And then like the law students are in dorms and they're looking out the windows. Gawking at the new student registrants. Yeah. Right. And they start like insulting her, yelling insults at yeah. her. Somebody yells, hey, where's the beach? Which is ridiculous because she's wearing like a leather <laughs> top. Like what, what <laughs> kind of insult is that? <laughs> like she's like fully clothed in knee high boots and wearing leather. And someone's like, where's the beach? What fucking moron thought that was a good insult? (laughs)
1: Listen, (laughs) let me pull back the curtain a little bit. That was absolutely just like ad libbed in ADR. A bunch of just like day players standing around a microphone and they're like, act like you're Harvard students who don't like
0: this lady. Right. I was thinking about what you were saying before. I was wondering if originally she was walking up in like a bathing suit, yeah, top or something. And because somebody else calls her Malibu Barbie, yeah, and that kind of. Where's the beach? Malibu Barbie makes sense if she's walking up like sort of scantily clad.
2: Someone shouts, this is in L.A., which is just it's very funny to think of Harvard kids as like just heckling, being really judgmental about like the West Coast. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Every kid there is like 24. They think it's cool that she's from L.A., I promise. (laughs) She walks up to like, you know, one of the guys with a notebook and she's like, where's the social calendar? And he, like, looks at her like she's the dumbest person on earth. Like, you're not going to have a social life here, lady. You're going to be working.
0: Law schools give you a social calendar. Law
2: schools give you a social calendar. There is stuff to do. And not only that, but, like, keep in mind, again, almost everyone in their first year of law school is, like, between 23 and 26. Like, people party. It is prime time in your life for partying. Yes, And the fact that everyone is stressed all the time probably heightens that rather than dampens it at the end of the day mm-hmm. there are times when people will just be studying for like 2 weeks on end but i guarantee you lost if you're if you're someone who thinks that law students are just like in all the time No, they are getting trashed like three times a week like college students. Right. A lot of them are just fresh out of college and they just keep doing it.
1: Right. And we know that she has a Percocet hookup. That's right. right? So
0: (laughs) So she would be very popular. (laughs) And the schools are like constantly throwing events and trying to tempt you with like free food and shit to get you to come listen to some bullshit. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Like five to four.
2: (laughs) Come listen to these podcasters.
1: (laughs) Literally has been at Harvard.
2: (laughs) (laughs) One of the most on point commentaries about law school is like they sit down just a few people on the quad together and there's one guy who's like this extremely like aloof full of himself hyper smart intellectual guy
1: he's literally wearing a shirt that says genius right right oh, I missed that <laughs> it's very know. over
2: the top <laughs> there's one girl who's like an activist lesbian mm-hmm. who says that she was a woman's studies major with a focus on combat yeah. <laughs> I was yes. like what? Are you, the history of combat or something i was like that's yeah. a that's a focus yeah. within women's studies
0: i think she said she got a phd
2: yeah Right.
1: That would explain why all of these actors are in their 40s. Right.
2: (laughs) And then there uh, was an autistic guy.
1: Yes. (laughs) And if
2: you're just like girly girl, super smart guy who seems like a dick, activist, lesbian, kid with autism, that is a beautiful slice of the law student body. Uh, I will say that the representation for the autism community is not great. It's 2001 and they (laughs) pretty much just play it for laughs, I got to say. That's absolutely correct.
1: (laughs) Well, there is that moment where he's tall and he's able to get a book off a high shelf. So that's right. That's right. That's Nice.
0: (laughs) On the other hand, Jennifer Coolidge drops several ableist slurs. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it all evens out in the end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: That scene where they're sitting on the quad is, according to this oral history, they spent like a week or something at Stanford just sort of like sitting in on classes. And that is like ripped from the headlines. Like uh, some of that is like eavesdrop. That makes
2: sense.
0: Yeah. That makes perfect sense.
2: One thing that my wife asked was how accurately do they represent study groups? Because there's like a little study group of like the smart kids that Elle asks if she can join and they're like, no. Get lost. Yeah. So my wife was like, that doesn't happen, does it? And I was like, actually. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. This does happen. And it can happen even at like less competitive law schools where there are like exclusive study groups. And the crazy ones, like the ones with the true freaks in them, I've heard of all sorts of stories, formal application processes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>
1: it's reading the application.
2: Demands to see your grades, things like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, some of those are confirmed. Some of those are rumored. But you do have to think of it like this. Let's say you have a group of like five people and you're all like, we're going to study together. We're going to, you know, re- we have each other's backs for this. You can't just let anyone in because next thing you know, it's a group of 20 people, right? You, mm-hmm. right? There needs to be some element of exclusivity. So you sort of build these like weird social click dynamics into the competitiveness of law school and like the superiority complexes that a lot of these students have. Right. And you get some very weird study group shit.
1: Yeah. As a producer, initially I was like, oh, they're being mean to Elle. And then Vivian, the prissy fiance of mm-hmm. Elle's ex-boyfriend, who says... <laughs> The outlines have already been assigned and immediately it was like, oh, Vivian's got a point. They're right.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, when she said that, I was like, that's totally legit. We're too far along.
1: Yeah. People have already started filling out their Google Docs.
0: It's a big thing in law school, if you haven't been to law school, that most exams are open book Mm -hmm. or at least you get to bring in an outline. And. So outlines are a big deal. And a lot of people pass down their outlines and you'll be like, oh, I got an outline from someone who got an A in this class last year or something and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people make their own outlines and a lot of study groups divvy up that labor. Yeah, And it's like, oh, we're all doing our property outline, but you'll do this section and I'll do this section and he'll do. And like once that's assigned, what are you going to do? Like We have all the work divvied up. There's no room for anybody else. Right. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: So the study group thing you think is accurate. This was another moment where I was like, this cannot be that like she gets in trouble for not having done the homework before class.
0: So I had reading assignments for my first day of class. Yeah. But also it was not like what they discussed on the first day of class was absurd for a first day lesson. And being that intense on the first day of class for people who haven't read pretty over the top if somebody said, oh, I didn't realize we had an assignment, you know, I hadn't gotten the syllabus or whatever, I think 99% of professors would be like, okay, well, grab a syllabus from me on your way out.
2: Yeah. Although I will say the energy going into law school is hyper intense because everyone sort of like fears it, Mm -hmm. right? You know that it's going to be intense. You know that it's going to be competitive. You know that classes could be grueling and you might get grilled by your professor. So it's actually just sort of, unusual that someone would not have their arms around what they're supposed to have done
0: for day one. Yeah. The real thing is that she would have gotten her social calendar at registration where there would have been several days of registration where you go to not lectures, but things where they explain law school to you with your classes right, and you get your syllabi and you learn what the first day of reading will look like and you talk to people about it. And that would have been part of registration is like preparing you for the first day of class right? so that you don't look like an idiot.
2: And the first question that she asked was, what is subject matter jurisdiction, which is probably the most complicated concept <laughs> that you learn of in that class in your first month.
0: Yeah. And the first case she assigns is some like, dist- I looked it up as a district court case. Gordon V. Steele. Yeah. Gordon V. Steele, which is a district court case in Pennsylvania, which is like, not the first class you will read in law school. Right, I, right. I promise you that. <laughs> that is right. not, And the first question will not be getting into depth about what the holding of the case is. It would be, what is the holding? Do you know what a holding is?
2: Right, right. Can
0: you find the holding of this case?
2: Right. It's literally like, what's a case name? Yeah. <laughs> Can you folks tell me? What does it mean?
0: Learning how to read a case right. is like what the first day of law school is about.
2: Right,
1: right. I have a question about that because- The professor who kicks her out of class for not having read 48 pages before the first day of school, she does this like definition of law school. She says, you will learn a new language. You'll be taught to achieve insight into the world around you and to sharply question what you know. Is that true? Is that what a legal education is? Yeah. Aren't you listening to our podcast? Mostly not, actually.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think in a sense, that's what law school aspires to do. Yeah.
2: It's definitely how they hold themselves out.
0: Yeah. One of the ways you learn how to see the world anew, though, is like being like, oh, that's an attractive nuisance. You could sue for this and you could sue for that. And like seeing bullshit like that everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the highest form of engaging with the world.
2: Yeah. It's very commonly said that law school teaches you how to think rather than what to think. I think that that's mostly untrue. <laughs> you know, there's certainly like methodologies Mm -hmm. that you learn, but they're not as rigid as like you would learn as a STEM major, for example. So I I think it's sort of more
0: of a story that
2: law professors tell themselves about what law is more than anything else.
0: Yeah. And this all goes back to like the sort of inherent contradictions in law school about it being a trade school versus academic and philosophical. Mm -hmm. Like, the philosophy of law is very much a how to think in sort of like modal logic in a lot of ways, but that has nothing to do with understanding the state of antitrust law, right. right? Those two things are like totally separate, they're like different universes. You don't need to know shit about logic and logical reasoning to understand copyright law, and mm-hmm. you don't need to understand copyright law to think like a lawyer in constitutional law or whatever, right? Like, these things are just like different worlds. Like, they don't...
1: Wait, can we talk about thinking like a lawyer in the context of the sperm donor? Okay.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. This is one of the most obscene classroom scenes in the movie where the prompt appears to be that there's a case where a sperm donor is seeking visitation rights for his biological child. Right. And in the process also harassing the parents. And so the professor asks her ex about it, you know, Mr. Warner Huntington, III, and the professor's like, well, can the donor harass the parents? And he was like, well, technically I think so because without him, the child wouldn't exist. (laughs) And the professor's like, now you're thinking like a lawyer. (laughs) Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then L is like, actually, I don't think so. And he's like, well, what's your argument? And she's like, well, unless the donor tried to see if like every one night stand that he ever had got pregnant, then he shouldn't have visitation rights. And also his masturbatory emissions could be considered a reckless abandonment. Right. And the professor goes, looks like you've won your case, Miss Woods. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What is everyone talking about?
0: Do you want to know how to think like a lawyer in this hypothetical is you go, I want to see the contract this guy signed when he went to the sperm bank and donated his sperm. Yeah. And
1: what state did he sign it in? That
0: is how a lawyer would think. Yeah. yeah.
2: And also, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and guess that it doesn't have a carve out that allows harassment of the parents. Right. <laughs> I feel like that's just a standalone <laughs> crime. Yeah. But like you could tell that this was like written without consultation by lawyers and it was just sort of meant to be this like. You know, this thing with feminist undertones, right? Where she's like, Mm -hmm. well, if he has his claim to visitation just because it's his sperm, then what about all the masturbation he does, right? Right. Dude suck. (laughs) If this
1: movie came out now, the right would try and cancel Reese Witherspoon for being pro-choice. 100%. Oh, for sure.
2: 100%. I will say, there are some dumbass boys in this movie. (laughs) That's for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) That's one of several very funny Socratic method scenes in the movie where they're trying to introduce that dynamic, you know, where the professors are sort of peppering the students with questions. My wife was like, do people try to like one up each other in class like this? Because like it continuously happened that like Elle would say something that seemed a little goofy. And then they like cut to Vivian Selma Blair, who's like giggling and smirking at her. I'm going to
0: raise my hand and humiliate. Yeah.
2: There's one scene where the professor's like, would you rather have a client who committed a crime malum in se or malum prohibitum? And Elle is like, neither. I'd rather have a client who was innocent. And everyone laughs at her, even though I actually think that's kind of a funny answer. It's like a cheeky it little... Is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's,
0: it's a good answer.
2: <laughs> Everyone's like, you stupid fuck. You don't even know the difference. And then Selma Blair one-ups her. There's also several questions that the professors ask that are just ludicrous.
0: Like Malaman Savers. Malaman. Right. I mean,
2: that's a bizarre question to ask.
1: Wait, what is the difference? Sorry. I understand from the film. That improhibitum is
0: regulatory. It's like one is inherently bad versus bad because we as society have said it's bad. Right.
1: Where would that language even manifest? Like, is that in laws? What is that from?
0: It's stupid. It's
2: a trope, an anti-lawyer trope that we speak in like Latin all the fucking time. Like no one uses this shit. No one talks like this. Yeah.
1: But is it in books? Sorry, I'm genuinely curious about that. Yeah, this. yeah. I
2: mean, it, it might be in, like, the introductory section of some textbook, you know?
0: I don't think I, we ever used those terms my entire tenure in law school, personally. I don't think I ever heard a law professor say that.
1: So there's no chance that, like, like Alito's not going to cite this at some point? No. no, no.
0: Okay.
1: No.
2: no, it has really no, almost no practical bearing on the law. Yeah. There's a scene where the old lady professor, she goes, you file a claim what next? And then she calls on (laughs) Elle and it's like, what the fuck kind of a question is this?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. And
2: then Elle's response is like, you need a reasonable belief that your claim has evidentiary support or something like that, which Mm -hmm. is just...
0: Words strung together, from
2: what I can gather, and the professor's
0: like nailed it. Right,
2: yeah. the professor's like, you got it, L. You're doing well, L. You're you're actually coming up now. You're improving.
0: Which I think we later learn is supposed to be our key to uh, the audience to know that this particular professor has come around to really like and appreciate L. Mm-hmm. Because the next time we see them interact, she's like, "Girl, you're really made of
2: something." Yeah, yeah. That's one of those great female solidarity moments. All the women that you are sort of made to believe are Elle's enemies in the beginning, by the end are in fact her allies. Right. So before we get to like the murder trial, we need to talk about the Jennifer Coolidge subplot <laughs> and the case of the stolen dog. Yes.
1: <laughs> Rufus. Yes.
2: So Elle Woods is manicurist, Jennifer Coolidge, her ablest manicurist. <laughs> her ablest manicurist. <laughs> is like, you know, unlucky in love in a particularly Jennifer Coolidge sort of way. And she wants her dog back from her ex, and so they go to her ex's place, which is a trailer. With the sort of sole purpose of that being, like, look at this piece of shit loser. <laughs> like,
1: it's an airstream, <laughs> and it looks like it's set down literally on the back lot of studio. Like
0: they yeah. didn't even try, <laughs> right? Like they didn't even like really do a set. They just went to somebody's dressing room. And <laughs> right? Used it They're
1: like, "Where set. do we keep the wood? We'll put it there."
2: Right. And then Elwood's Woods, uh, first year at Harvard, pretends to be a lawyer mm-hmm. to trick this guy into thinking that he is obligated to give Jennifer Coolidge's dog back to her, which she does. And then mm-hmm. they like stroll off. Now, this is... Probably more than a couple of crimes. <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to just pretend to be a lawyer. No. That's not legal.
0: That's practicing law without a license, as a matter of fact.
2: That's right. You have to earn this. You can't just pretend to do what we do.
1: <laughs> when we were prepping, you guys said that that was stolen valor. That's right. <laughs> That's, right.
2: That's right. That's right. It's worse than stolen valor because... <laughs> <laughs> you have to cut that. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> it's also just like your basic fraud, you know? Uh,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Fraudulently induced that man to hand over his dog.
0: And Jennifer Coolidge originally says he took my dog. You know, somebody had to put their name on the adoption papers. Like the dog has a legal owner. And it's mm-hmm. either Jennifer Coolidge, in which case they could just file a police report and get the dog back. Or It's not. In which case, they stole the dog.
1: Counterpoint. Is this not a decarceral solution? <laughs> you don't get the cops involved.
0: Uh, who needs re? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Decarceral solution. You go to him with the adoption papers and say, this is my name on the papers. Give the dog back or I'm calling the police. Mm-hmm. And then you take the dog. I
1: mean- she invoked habeas corpus. Like. <laughs> that's right. And
2: subject matter. Like, show me the dog.
0: Show me the dog. Is that what you <laughs> said? Show the me the dog. dog.
2: <laughs> yeah. Habeas canine, baby. Let's yeah, see it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, bottom line there is if someone of note at Harvard found out that she had done that, I think it's quite likely that she would be expelled Mm -hmm. Or if she wasn't, she would have a ton of trouble getting admitted to the bar. Mm -hmm. That's like exactly the kind of fraud that the bar admissions folks are concerned about when they're like doing the review of your ethics before you become a real lawyer. Right.
1: I think it was justified.
2: So now we get to the climactic portions, the third act of this movie, which involve a murder trial all of a sudden right
0: because one of her professors is also a partner at a major law firm and yeah. practicing attorney
2: <laughs> the sperm guy the guy who listened to L and her ex like go back and forth with the dumbest answers possible and then hired both of them to be on his murder case <laughs> right yeah he brings on a team of like what four students yes they're first year students this is a for profit Law firm, like the mm-hmm. clients, like for what I'm paying him. Right. So he's a professor pulling out of his 1L student pool <laughs> and using them as unpaid labor for his paid law practice. (laughs) Unbelievable. They're
1: interns, Peter. Unbelievable. So this is the difference between like somebody who came into podcasting from law versus somebody who came into it from media. Because I'm like, oh yeah, interns don't get paid. They work for free for like, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And then maybe you get a job. And you guys are like, this is preposterous. And I'm like, (laughs) I cannot see where the problem is. It's not
2: the unpaid element. It's the fact that he's drawing from his own students who like, by the way, like he's supposed to be grading their shit. they they have obligations at Harvard, right.
1: yeah, but he's already learned their names <laughs> right.
2: And he's taking from that pool and having those students who he has leverage over as a professor do work for him, do work that he is profiting
0: from. It's wildly unethical, totally preposterous. Look, a law partner doesn't have time to be a law Yeah, professor.
2: that's that's true just enough.
0: Just period. That's true enough. The, like just the premise is ridiculous.
2: They do try to excuse it by being like, oh, they're so busy that he's hiring first years. Like it's right. trying to make it seem like it's not a usual thing. It doesn't matter if it's a usual no. thing. It, it is absurd. My best guess is that Harvard wouldn't even allow this, even in the event that the ethics rules did.
0: Right. And a law firm of like that supposed size and prestige, if they're short-staffed, would literally just hire staff attorneys. Right. Uh, like this is a very normal thing. Right. Like as a first and second year associate, one thing I did was manage groups of staff attorneys that w- the firm would hire to handle big cases right. and to handle big reviews and things like that. That's very normal. That's very normal. Right.
2: I will also say this is like a murder trial and really a criminal trial generally. Mm. Probably an area where a 1L would be the least successful, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And
0: a law professor, for that matter.
2: That's true. That's a good point. You'll hear about 3Ls, for example, being able to handle appellate issues, right? Because in appellate cases, what's generally happening is that there's like one or two legal questions. Mm -hmm. You can dig through Westlaw, do the analysis, and figure it out, right? Right trials, criminal trials are very dynamic. You need to know all these rules of evidence. You need to know all these courtroom procedures and norms. Mm-hmm. It would just be impossible to navigate as a 1L who doesn't even know the law, right? let alone all of those things. It's just an area where you would have no use for a 1L, <laughs> just absolutely no use.
0: And the meat of trials, the meat of most trials is, it's called like establishing a factual record. Right. And trying to convince the jury that a certain set of facts happened. And both sides are sort of dueling over which sets of facts happened. And all this is stuff that's just like, it's just not something that either law professors or law students are good at. Like it's not. It's something you get from experience. From years and years of practice. Right. I I was reading an article uh, from 2003 that said that new law professors at the time had an average of 3.7 years of experience. And that that number was declining. That was at the time this movie came out. Like right. So, no, this is just not an area <laughs> where you would want a law professor at all. Like, that's just not. Look, it might take you a
2: long time to establish a set of facts, but it took, Al, maybe 30 seconds. So. <laughs> that's
0: right. Yeah. That's right.
1: About three minutes of runtime.
2: That's the power of sisterhood. <laughs> all right.
1: Also, can you imagine going to see Legally Blonde? Appellate division, like what? No,
0: <laughs> there is a sequel, right? There is a legally blonde too. It, be-
2: it was suggested right afterwards, and my wife was like, "Huh?" and I was like, "Absolutely not. Don't do No,
1: no.
2: <laughs> don't even try it." All right, so let's talk about the murder itself. The accused is this young, like twenty-six-year-old fitness—not influencer. I was about to say influencer. <laughs> they didn't
1: have those, but <laughs> that didn't
0: exist. Proto influencer,
1: famous
2: fitness lady <laughs> uh, a female richard simmons and she was found over the dead body of her older wealthy husband covered in blood husband was shot there was no gun so she looks like she's toast and they bring l and the other students on the case and they're like, we need an alibi, even though they should be thinking in a little more detail about how to develop a factual record rather than just being like, we need to pretend she was somewhere else. Like, I don't understand what the,
0: <laughs> the case discussion, just like having this whole thing where the lead attorney is just like. She did it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he not give a <laughs> fuck.
2: Every single person is like, she did it. And Elle's like, but I'm a big fan of hers. And like, she was in my sorority. I don't think she could do it. Exercise releases endorphins. And that makes you happy. And happy people don't kill their husbands. Airtight. <laughs> and they're like, Elle- Shut the fuck up! You are genuinely stupid. Why would you say that? <laughs> our, our client is guilty of murder. Right. Like no one's acting normal. I bet that's the way, best way to put it. No. Yeah, and so we sort of turn to like, how, how are you going to crack this case? And uh, the way it gets <laughs> cracked is a series of preposterous events. <laughs> First, L goes to visit. The defendant in jail without permission. I don't even understand why this millionaire is in jail. Like she couldn't afford bail. What happened? Right. But she like visits the lady and the lady's like, I'm going to tell you this, but you can't tell anyone else. I do have an alibi. I was getting liposuction and you can't tell anyone else that because then they'll think I'm a fraud rather than like a fitness guru. <laughs> right. Right.
1: This was the best acting in the entire film. (laughs) She did such a good job. She did. She was good. The top two are that scene, her doing that. And then, well, I'll let you know when you get to the the second best actor in the film, because it's coming up.
2: (laughs) Elle then returns to her team and she's like, good news. She didn't do it. I can't tell you why, because she made me promise. (laughs) And they're like, Elle, you have to tell us the alibi. This is how we win the case. Which doesn't make sense because you can't just, like, ignore your client's wishes. Absolutely not.
1: She says, if you put me on the stand, I'll lie. That's like the kind of thing you'd say to a prosecutor.
2: Right. But also, it just doesn't—the attorneys work for you. You don't have to say anything you don't want to say. You know, that's their ethical obligation.
0: Right. And if they had made that clear to her that they wouldn't use anything she didn't want them to use, they could formulate a strategy where they, like, maybe have— medical records under seal or something like that yeah. and then have the case dismissed. Right.
2: Rock solid. Rock
0: solid. Like there's no reason to go to trial and have this all be public. like.
2: Right.
1: Again, but, what does that movie look like? Well, <laughs> are we watching it? Look,
2: they get to write whatever they want for this. movie. You know, they can create a scenario with fewer holes, Rachel. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 so it's sort of obvious that this woman didn't do it and we, we don't really know who did it, but things take a turn when her pool boy, her cabana boy, gets put on the stand. Star witness. Mm-hmm. In like a Versace shirt. And they're like, can you show us the uniform that she made you wear? And it's a thong.
1: A sparkly blue thong. She forces
2: mm-hmm. this minimum wage pool boy to wear a thong around mm-hmm. her. And they're like, were you having an affair? And he's like, yeah. And you're like, what? And she's like talking to Elle being like, I wasn't sleeping with him. I just like to look. Right. <laughs> Which I guess this is just sort of inverting the tropes, you know, but mm. 22 years later felt that. I was like, mm. <laughs> is, I don't know about this.
0: White chick ogling her minimum wage Hispanic employee. Yeah, you yeah. were talk
2: about power imbalance. Right, mm-hmm. right. Not a ton of class consciousness in this movie, I have to say. <laughs> then L is getting water, the water fountain in the courthouse. And, he cuts her
1: off in line.
2: Right, he cuts her off. And she's, like, upset. He turns to her and he goes, don't tap your last season's Prada shoes at me. And it's, like, light bulb. Elle runs to her team and she's, like, he's fucking gay, guys. (laughs) (laughs) He couldn't have had an affair because this guy's fucking gay. He's talking to me about shoes? Are you kidding me,
1: bro? (laughs) They have, like... The, the exchanges go back and forth like three times before she, like, she never tells them how she came to this realization. She's just like, that guy knows about clothes. Look at him.
0: Yeah. Her inability to articulate this was also shockingly bad. Yeah, right. Like, she turns to her ex-boyfriend and goes, what type of shoes do I have? And he says, black. And she goes, see? <laughs> Point made. The discovery comes through her just.
2: Being like, he's acting gay as shit right now, (laughs) the way he's talking. And then Luke Wilson does like this thing that I guess is sort of derivative of a real on the stand interviewing strategy where you rapid fire questions at people that have simple answers. And he's like, what day is it? What color is the sky? And what's your boyfriend's name? And then he's just like, Chuck. And, and he's like, oh, no, I said it, you know? It's basically like Luke Wilson's up there and he's just like, what day is it? And gay boy says, what? And the guy's like,
1: oh, what? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, he's gay. Everyone
2: in the courtroom freaks out.
1: That leads to the second greatest moment of acting in the film, <laughs> oh, which is that Chuck. Chuck is there to watch his boyfriend testify. He stands up and he's... So mad that his boyfriend has denied because the pool boy like explains it away. He's like, "Oh no, no, no! My friend is Chuck." And Chuck stands up and he goes, "You bitch!" And then he walks.
0: (laughs)
2: Chuck was totally fine with literally framing someone for murder, but as soon as he was like, "Chuck's just a friend," he was like, "No, I'm taking my stand right now." (laughs) so luke wilson forces this man to out himself using psychological trickery and then everyone's like oh my god well if he's gay you can't sleep with a woman that's just science (laughs) wait so how wait how does the professor get fired now i can't remember he hits
0: on on l oh that's right after this he seems very impressed with her he sits her down in his office and is like Oh, you trusted your intuition today and it didn't lead you astray and I should have trusted you and offers her a summer associateship at his firm and then puts his hand on her leg and starts feeling her up. And I I think he
2: very explicitly is like, you know, if you're willing to work for it and then puts his hand on her leg. Yes. Right. If you want to
1: put it in legal terms. Quid pro quo. Right.
2: The rare quid pro quo sexual harassment. Most sexual harassment (laughs) is of the hostile work environment type, (laughs) right? Where (laughs) someone is constantly doing little things that are offensive and harassing and discriminatory. But quid pro quo is like, have sex with me and you'll get a job. And most people don't do that, uh, probably (laughs) because it sounds so illegal when you say it out loud. (laughs) But this guy who's simultaneously a Harvard law professor and the, like, top criminal attorney in the city, he does it.
0: He does it. He does it. (laughs) (laughs) And so she quits, and she announces her intention to quit law school altogether. Mm -hmm.
2: She's like, if I knew there were perverts here. (laughs)
1: At Harvard.
0: (laughs) When she's getting her nails done and talking to her manicurist when we would learned that the— female law professor who had kicked her out of class has now come to respect her Mm -hmm. and seeing her cry over being sexually harassed rather than walking up and being like, wait, one of my colleagues on faculty sexually harassed the student is just like, I thought you were made of sterner stuff that you would let some prick ruin your career. And otherwise just doesn't care. doesn't care at all. Extremely second wave. (laughs) Being
2: a woman is about being sexually harassed by my colleagues And having to internalize it and move on.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. But then the defendant finds out that Elle was sexually harassed and quit. And being that she only really trusts Elle and hates her attorney, she fires him in dramatic fashion. In the courtroom. In the courtroom. And hires Elle to replace him. And
2: the judge is like, you can't hire a a small child to be (laughs) your attorney. And someone like pops up, I think. I'm sorry, is it the autistic
1: kid? Okay, so I went deep on the autistic guy. Uh So in the film, he introduces himself on the quad as David Kidney. Mm -hmm. David Kidney. Kidney. (laughs) There's a producer on the film named Rick Kidney. Okay. Rick is spelled R I C. I don't know if how this is all, you know, I'm just sort of can't doing... It can't be
2: a coincidence. We're getting to the bottom of this.
1: Yeah, it's my conspiracy theory.
2: He was like, can you throw my name on the autistic kid we're making fun of? <laughs> yeah. The disabled child that we're insulting throughout the film. Can you just throw my name on him?
1: At the end, he's billed as Dorky David in the credits. So <laughs> Here... I would encourage you to refer to him by his his proper name, as he calls himself, David Kidney. David Mm -hmm. Kidney.
0: Of course, Mr. Kidney. (laughs) Mr. Kidney. Mr. Kidney. So
2: Mr. Kidney stands up in the courtroom and is like, no, he's citing Massachusetts state law, saying that a, a law student can, in fact, in certain situations with supervision represent a client in a criminal trial i didn't dig into the law here according to wikipedia that's not true (laughs) good enough the way it will generally work is a lot of states have exceptions for supervised three l's yeah third year law students to engage in like limited types of legal work right you know you could do legal research behind the scenes paperwork shit not like question a witness in the
0: Courtroom. Look, because I went to Dubai in like my first month at Sullivan and Cromwell, I actually didn't get admitted to the bar till much later. Uh-huh. I like missed like my bar interview window and all this stuff. And so I was practicing for like my first year without being formally admitted, even though I'd passed the bar exam. And so I had to keep that stupid. So law you were at-
1: practicing law without a license.
0: Well, so that's the thing. It's like When you send emails, your signature has to have like a little thing.
2: Just a dumb baby. That's what it says. Yeah.
0: (laughs) A little disclaimer that says like an asterisk under that says not yet admitted to the bar. Mm -hmm. Things I worked on. My name wasn't on the briefs. Right. Even though I'd like written large portions of them when I went to trial. I couldn't sit with my associates. I'd have to sit in right. like the general public thing. Like You could do certain things, but there's a formal demarcation in, as to what you can and can't do. And that was as a graduated lawyer right. who had passed the bar and worked at a firm, but just hadn't been formally admitted yet.
2: I went through all that too, because I procrastinated on my paperwork for many months. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That sounds exactly right.
0: <laughs> I did that too after I got back from Dubai and I was like, nice. I'm a seasoned lawyer now. I've been to Dubai. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I bother with this shit? So L Woods
2: she stands up and she's very nervous and she like defines mens rea, which is another first week of law school thing <laughs> and people are like rolling their eyes and the judge is like, I know the definition of <laughs> mens rea. What are you doing? <laughs> even for someone in her shoes that's a massive joke.
0: That is, that is an unbelievable you, joke.
2: Talk. You're just standing up and being like,
0: criminal law <laughs> is
2: defined in the dictionary. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's very
1: wedding toast. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: Wedding toast that you did not prepare for. Didn't even know no. you were going to have to make a toast. <laughs> right. And then she's she gets up and she starts
2: cross-examining the daughter of the murdered husband, the stepdaughter of the defendant. And the daughter is like, I, I got a perm. Say her name. Chutney. Chutney. <laughs> her name is Chutney. And Chutney's story is that she was in the shower, so she didn't hear the gunshot. You know, she gets out of the shower, goes downstairs, sees the defendant covered in blood. Now, Elle Woods is like, what did you do before that? And she's like, I got a perm. And Elle has another light bulb moment. And she's like, everyone knows that when you get a perm, you don't take a fucking shower, Chutney. (laughs) And Chutney is immediately like,
0: I killed him. I'm a murderer. I didn't mean to. I meant to shoot her and points at the defendant. Right. So, yeah, she
2: immediately being caught in one lie confesses as opposed to being like it was a body shower.
0: <laughs> right. I right. put a plastic thing over my hair.
1: <laughs> she actually did say that she washed her hair. Oh, she did say
0: she washed yeah. her hair. Right. That, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's true. That's true.
1: She made her own bed.
2: Yeah. That's mm-hmm. something I personally, if I did a murder and was like doing an elaborate frame up, I would have pinned that down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You gotta get those details right. And since the pool boy is gay, he should have been able to help her out mm-hmm. on
0: that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whatever
1: she paid him wasn't enough.
0: I will say there's a scene where Elle says she's read like the deposition like 20 times. And there's a lot of like surprise moments at trial. Like they seem shocked that the pool boy says he had an affair with her. Right. This stuff all would have been in depositions and it all would have been handed over to the defense. This is what they should have been talking about. Rather than, we need an alibi. They should have been talking about the deposition and Elle should have been like, why is she taking a shower an hour after getting a perm? And then they would be talking about developing witnesses to corroborate that she had a perm and that you would never take a shower after a perm and calling her a hairdresser and stuff. That's how real law works. Not this bullshit. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Again, I invite you to imagine what the trailer for Legally Blonde reading a deposition (laughs) looks like
2: this of course the judge is like case dismissed
1: (laughs) and they take chutney into custody immediately yes
2: there's no jury vote there's no dismissal by the prosecution which is probably the most likely scenario in a situation like that
1: or not or they just keep going with it until she's in jail for a crime she didn't do
2: against a rich person come on on. no. (laughs) You know, everyone's cheering.
1: Yeah. And at the end of the trial, of course, Warner Huffington Post, the eighth or whatever. (laughs) He comes back and is like, Elle, I always loved you. Blah blah blah. blah. He he tries to, like, get back together with her. And
2: she hits him with one of his own lines, because when he broke up with her, he was like, I want to be a senator before I'm 30. Yeah. And then she's like, sorry, I want to be a partner by the time I'm 30
0: loser, bye. Can't do that if I have a loser boyfriend. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Also, Werner, the minimum age for a senator is 30, according to the United States Constitution. You fucking moron. (laughs) You fucking douche.
2: That is classic old money. Yes. He's like, I know I need to be a senator, but I haven't even read the constitutional requirements (laughs) for being one. (laughs) Yes.
1: Wikipedia was less robust back then. Yeah.
2: And they then cut To graduation at Harvard. Two years later. Where Elle is given the speech and the room is way too small. It doesn't look like it's that prestigious at all. It's like there's like maybe 100 (laughs) people uh, she's talking to. Harvard classes are like 500. And that's not including families. So
1: people have been allowed to bring their own cocktails. (laughs) That's right.
2: It's BYO. (laughs) And she gives a nice little speech. And then they do that classic 90s, aughts thing where they just have the text appear on the screen to tell you what happened after, where it's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, L's ex is a big loser now. Right.
1: He got no offers when he He graduated. didn't get
2: any job offers, which like, you basically need to literally kill someone at Harvard to not get any <laughs> job offers. <laughs> yeah. And maybe, you know, the last thing I sort of wanted to talk about was sort of some of the parts of this movie that feel outdated And one of them is sort of how weirdly corporate the feminism appears to be. Mm. It's like Elle got job offers from the top law firms in Boston. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, Yeah. everyone at Harvard can get (laughs) Right. Like, did she do something interesting with her life? It just feels so anticlimactic to be like, and Elle went on
0: to be a rich lawyer. Like, (laughs) but that was the height of the dream. Well,
1: doesn't she go on to work for her boyfriend's firm? Yes,
0: but it's the firm that he started, spurred on by her. So he quit the big firm and hung out his own shingle. So I assume they will be immediate partners and practicing together.
2: Right. So that's the thing I skipped over is that she and Luke Wilson, who have. I don't want to say they have no chemistry, but they don't exactly have a ton of chemistry. They're both independently charming, but they don't have a ton of chemistry. Yeah.
1: But because the professors, like, come onto her as so mild, like, the way that they have to, like, distinguish Luke Wilson is by giving him no sexual interest in her. No
2: sexuality at all. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But they nonetheless kiss on the courthouse steps. They're ripping with adrenaline and they're like, let's make out. And then at the end, they're like, and by the way he's going to propose
0: to her. Right.
2: (laughs) Which is another sort of like outdated, like, it's like, don't worry, she still gets a boy at the end. (laughs)
0: It's like, you know. This is so feminist, but it's still very much like old school, like Victorian marriage plot is the overlay.
1: Yeah. It literally comes full circle.
0: Where it's like, she's sort of like the princess who needs to choose between the guy with the resume, who's the world's biggest douchebag and the underdog who's, A lower class maybe, but is charming and nice. And she ends up getting with him at the end and it's the right choice. This is like a classic romance plot, but is a very poor scaffolding to graft a feminist story onto, (laughs) you know?
1: So also in this oral history, I learned that this ending was like the fourth version of the ending. Mm. Like originally it had actually closed on them, like kissing on the court steps. But test audiences were like, that doesn't seem right. This is a feminist movie. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't end like that. So instead they just have her getting engaged, which is well, like
0: right. so much
2: better. Yeah. <laughs> That's also why in the final scenes, her wig sucks yes. because she was filming something else. Yep. I believe Luke Wilson also in a wig. Yeah,
1: uh, he was filming Royal Tenenbaum, so he was bald right. at that oh, point. That's right, that's right. Her makeup is also totally wrong because they shot the cover in, in England. Like, it's a totally mm. different makeup artist.
2: Right, a British makeup artist. You can't trust her. We're trying to do a very American look. <laughs> <laughs>
0: while, while we're talking about the outdated feminism, I also like the bend and snap Oh, scene. my God. Oh,
1: my God. We cannot leave
2: without talking about bend and snap.
1: <laughs> so, you know, it's like in the air. Bend and snap. Like, if you're an American woman between the ages of, I don't know, seven and 480, you know what bend and snap is. But I always thought it was predicated on something. Like, it was advice that moms actually would give. But apparently it was just, like, completely made up. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, the writers just got drunk and made it up. I read that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think in the latter half of the movie, too, this is when Elle is starting to, like, actualize. Right throw off the chains of the girly girl stereotypes she had been saddled with and like really embrace being a lawyer and herself. And then she's giving Jennifer Coolidge advice on how to get a man. And it Mm -hmm. is literally just show him your tits from several different angles. Right. (laughs) First show him your cleavage by bending down. And then snap up and pop them out. So they're, like, really sticking out. The bend and snap. Really show them your twits, and then he'll ask you out. That's the seed.
2: First, there's, like, the high-level background, which is that the arc of the Jennifer Coolidge B-plot, it's not like you don't need a man to be happy. It's like, don't worry, we will find you a nice guy. Yes. And then she does. Yes. Right.
1: And a class appropriate one, too, because you're a manicurist. So you get the UPS. Right. Guy. Right. Let's not get crazy,
2: Jennifer Coolidge. You're not going to marry <laughs> Luke Wilson. like <laughs> I am. You're going to marry the first man to walk in the door as we're having this conversation.
0: And yeah. whose only conversations with you are him making not at all veiled phallic jokes. Right.
1: I have a big package. I
0: have a you. big one for you. Yes. Right.
2: Oh, the UPS guy is sexually harassing me every day. Can you help me marry him?
0: That's the Jennifer Coolidge subplot.
2: Okay. So we sort of talk about how bizarre from like a feminist perspective, the bend and snap thing is. But like, again, they're in the salon and Elle is like, I'm going to teach you this move I have, the bend and snap, where I bend over and then snap back up and men can't resist it. And it results in like a surreal choreographed pseudo dance number. (laughs) I don't know what the term in cinema for this is, but like the volume on their speaking voices go down and the volume on the music goes up. And all these women are like doing their little bend and snap in the salon. And I felt like I was losing my mind. It feels completely out of place. It's
0: hallucinatory. It's bizarre. It
2: is. It has absolutely no purpose other than to show Things that we already know. Like, Elle is like charming and everyone likes her and knows how to get guys, right? Mm-hmm. You're not learning anything. And then Jennifer Coolidge tries the move and elbows the UPS guy in the face and breaks his nose. So, like, it didn't even add to the plot other than to be a fully choreographed surrealist setup to physical comedy where a dude gets punched in the face and we're like, yeah, nice.
1: <laughs> it's 2001, though. This is the era of like high school movies. Yeah. They all break out into a choreographed dance at prom. Mm-hmm. This was just what the air was like. Then. Right. I
0: do wonder if this was like a producer was like, we need something like this, you know?
1: Right. They did want to have a big set piece moment. I'm not sure that they accomplished that. Like, no. this happens in a room that's like 10 by 10. No. There's no actual choreo. The music they license is not good. There
0: are only two characters you recognize in it. Everybody else are extras. <laughs> right. Yes. Like <just>
1: <laughs> They've got one of the extras is like a woman in like a tracksuit, And she starts improvising on the bend and snap. And I think the producers thought they were like hiring somebody who was breakdancing. Yes. But if you look closely at her, she's just kind of like, vibrant it's
0: very bizarre like she's just
1: shaking it. right. it's not actually like freestyling it's
0: not good and l is like yeah right yeah
1: <laughs> didn't l say that she made it up her mom taught it to her oh her mom
2: taught it to her okay, so
1: it's a known thing in this universe right
2: that's the only difference between the legally blonde universe and ours is the bend and snap <laughs> <laughs> everything else is like harvard is full of perverted attorneys and Old money, new money disputes. They're all there. They're all real. But there is the bend and snap. Mm -hmm. That's the primary difference. Yeah. I do think that in the early aughts, we saw the rise of like the scary movies and a lot of those satirical movies. And I think that over the course of that, maybe like half decade, these sort of tropes like the dance number get made fun of so much that they are eventually just extinguished and now you never see that in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the time it was probably like, yeah, and where's the weird surrealist dance number yeah. in your movie?
0: Until it eats the dog semen cannoli. And then it's, <laughs> it's <done. laughs> oh my God, I'm going to start saying
2: now. Yeah, really? Uh, that show really ate the dog semen cannoli with that one.
0: At 5-4. Do- no, dog semen eclair. Uh, eclair, eclair. Sorry. <laughs> oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was that something that was very accurate, but we don't probably don't like to think about watching this movie was that nobody in our undergraduate sorority was black. Yeah. What you don't like to think about watching this movie is that Elle herself, or at mm-hmm. least several of her sorority sisters, we are almost certainly virulent racists. Like, absolutely. All white sorority at a state school. Her
2: actual admissions essay would be about like going on a trip to Morocco where she stayed at five-star hotels and like seeing
1: poverty.
0: <laughs> right. Like any scandal you can think of about sororities in the last 15 years, like she would have done all of them. Yeah. Uh, wedding on a plantation. Yeah. For sure. Trailer
1: park themed party. <laughs>
0: there is exactly
2: one person of color. In this movie, <laughs> yes. who's not a person of color for like a tropey reason, and it's the judge in the trial. The cabana boy is being played for last. Yes. That is like obvious. Yes.
1: Wait, there's also the law student who gets hit in the head with a pencil. Yes. That's
2: true. A law student without a line, the professor. <laughs> Like refers to him, like points to him and smacks him
0: in the head with the pencil. <laughs> it's insane. That's like the only black student we see at all in the movie. If you're
2: a black student in this movie, you have a 100% chance of getting smacked in the head with a
0: pencil. <laughs> a 0% chance of saying anything. <laughs> Interacting with anyone. Right.
2: And this was 2001. You were only allowed to do one thing.
1: Right. Right. right.
2: It was like, this is for women. If you tried to throw in like, and by the way, treat poor people with the same respect you treat rich people. (laughs)
1: Or people who are in custody. People
2: would have been like, what is this movie about? Is this movie about overthrowing the government or something? What is this? (laughs) What do
1: you think that this movie would be like? If it was made now.
2: Honestly, insufferable. <laughs> yeah, it would be <laughs> awful.
0: It would be awful.
2: Like so far up its own ass mm-hmm. that you would hate it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if you like sort of fundamentally agreed with it. The best that this will ever be done is Barbie. And even that was like a little bit annoying where you're like, yeah. all right, that's a little on the nose. Thank you. I haven't <laughs> seen it yet,
0: so please don't spoil it's it.
2: It's good, but it has some on the nose moments, which is probably because it's like for eight-year-olds as much as it's for 30-year-olds. <laughs> right. But You're playing
0: to many different audiences with disparate tastes yeah. yeah
2: they're like explaining feminism to you like you're an asshole <laughs> that's how i would describe it but i would also describe it as beautiful and fun
1: <laughs> hey who in legally blonde do you think listens to five to four oh
0: uh phew. i mean maybe l <laughs> <laughs> honestly maybe l the lesbian is like yeah i bet you would have called me a dyke and she's like i don't use that word Maybe Vivian would. Elle is probably the least problematic character of them all. Right.
2: She doesn't dislike gay people. She just has a narrow conception of what they are. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And her best friend is uh, her manicurist, right? Mm -hmm. She sees her as an equal. You know, she's not classist like that. Although, again, as Peter mentioned, she's in Thinking Bigger for her best friend. Right.
1: Guys- Since I'm subbing for Re, I have a solemn responsibility to our listeners.
0: To kill the cop in your head?
1: No. (laughs) I've got Elle's star chart. Oh, my God. God damn it. (laughs) So, canonically, Elle is a Gemini. Her birthday is June 15th, 1979. Mm. And according to a TikTok account that I found, (laughs) she is a Gemini sun, a Scorpio moon, and a Virgo rising which means that she has a forceful and magnetic personality. People can't help but notice her, but she is a bit secretive. Mm. This all tracks. <laughs> she has an ability to stick to her goals and an ability to get past setbacks with facility. She's an extrovert, yet she's introverted. She's passionate, yet she's superficial. She's breezy, but she's intense. She's communicative, but she's secretive. She's colorful and paradoxical. Hmm. Colorful and paradoxical, or exactly how I would describe. Yeah. That's all from Westlaw. I'll put the citation in the show notes. No, it's actually from truly divine.com.
2: <laughs> Is that an authoritative source? We need to get Re on this. I don't know what she uses. I'm
1: sure that's what Ree uses.
2: Re looks at the sky and she figures it out. <laughs>
0: Any other questions from Lee that we should answer?
2: Does anyone have a pink-scented resume? Uh,
1: (laughs) Well, I am curious. Did you guys just have copies of your resume in your backpack? No. no, no. no.
2: No. Certainly not during 1L. After 1L, there's like the law firm applications process. And
0: then you have a copy of resume on your laptop that you could email for sure.
2: And I have like extras in my bag, but I didn't have plans for them. I just wasn't throwing them out.
0: (laughs) Conflict of interest to be sorority sisters with the person you're representing. No.
1: You
2: have the same interests, right? right? You're on the same, it's just more reason to be friends, right? (laughs) Right.
1: Apparently it's a problem if you're working for your teacher, but you can be in the same sorority. It's not a conflict of interest. That's not a
2: conflict of interest, Rachel. It's a different kind (laughs) of ethical violation. (laughs) I like how you, just so that everyone knows, Rachel will like stop us in the middle of recording and being like, you're missing a labor issue that I'm spotting. (laughs) (laughs) But now we're like, this professor is using his students as free labor. And Rachel's like, what's wrong with that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm angling to get an intern on the show.
2: (laughs) All right, folks. That was it for our free-form discussion of Legally Blonde. Say, Overall, a dated movie, but a good movie. I enjoyed it it. There are a lot of, like, dumb little gags that I laughed at. The courtroom sketch artist just draws funny pictures yes. of the people, and it's it's so funny. Oh, my God. He's so That good.
0: was so fun.
2: There's a scene where her dog pops out of her bag in court and startles the lawyer, and I laughed <laughs> yeah. much harder than a respectable person would, just how well acted the, the jump scare was. Well, I was,
0: like, grinning when the dog had its own little uh, mortar, like, little... Uh graduation cap (laughs) at the end, I was like, yes, yes.
1: I watched this (laughs) on Prime so I could see all the actors' names because I have, like, a little bit of celebrity face blindness.
0: And they have the dogs. And they have the dogs, yeah.
1: So Bruiser is played by Mooney. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And Rufus is actually, that's an interesting gender swap casting. Uh, Rufus is played by a Lily.
2: Oh, interesting. They were like, no, that's not a girl dog. (laughs) (laughs) Not in my movie.
1: (laughs) I think in the year of our Lord 2023, it's okay to come away from legally blonde saying, I don't feel great about some of this stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I read Reese Witherspoon being like, people come to me all the time and say, that's why I went to law school. And I know a lot of women who like, sort of like half tongue in cheek cite it as part of their reason for going to law school. And given where we were in 2001, you have to sort of put it in the step forward category, you know? <laughs> It was female solidarity and no other type of solidarity, but that's still one step farther than American Pie was, for example. And so you have to give them a little bit of credit.
1: But only a little bit.
2: All right. Next week,
1: probably some kind of law. Hey, aren't you going to ask me if I have anything to plug?
2: Oh, yeah. What are you doing, Rach? Do you have other jobs? Listen to 5 to 4, the podcast that Rachel produces.
1: Actually, I've been working a little bit on Nora Jones' podcast, and I think it's really good, and you should listen to it. It's called Nora Jones is Playing Along. Check it out. Anything else you're shilling? (laughs) I mean, I guess I want people to start unions, probably.
2: Everyone except for law students, Rachel wants to start unions. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next week, folks, we're taking a break because your boy's getting married.
1: Continuity error. Don't you refer to your wife all the time on this show, Peter?
2: So I am legally married that was because if you're a longtime listener you might have remembered that when I got fired from my job I needed to get married for insurance reasons <laughs> so we actually just had our one year anniversary a few days back and now we're having the wedding
1: I can't believe you've only been a full-time podcaster for a year
2: that's right that's it. and we're gonna be taking a week off and then we'll be we'll be back with some, some fun I don't know we'll see thank you for subscribing to our patreon We love and respect you very much. And you're all invited to the wedding. You can all come. We'll see you there.
1: (laughs) Which will be happening two weeks in the past when this airs.
2: (laughs) Rach, don't ruin it for them. They all got very excited just now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm very grateful to them because they pay my salary. Thanks, guys. Bye,
0: everybody. Five to Four is presented by Prologue Projects. Rachel Ward is our producer. Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons provide editorial support. And our researcher is Jonathan De Bruin. Peter Murphy designed our website, 54pod.com. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY, and our theme song is by Spatial Relations. Any other questions from Lee that we should answer?
2: Glammy chick. I don't think so.
1: Oh, can you bring your own workout machine to law school?
2: First of all, I don't even think that they have one, but Lee wrote these questions without actually watching the movie first. This is all from memory. Wow. She's confusing the sorority house scene and the... Uh, law school itself. No,
1: she also has a elliptical. When she gets
0: remote. serious about law school, she's on her elliptical in her room reading.
2: Okay, Jesus. That means she knows more about the movie from off the top of her head than I do after watching it a day ago. <laughs> <laughs>